0: What do you know about that, man?
1: <laughs> that was pretty fun.
2: <laughs> <laughs> She'd let him, let him know, hey, I've been here. My dog, every, I mean, his goal every day is to get out front and smell those two trees by the sidewalk to see what's been there. Yeah. And he has to remark them every time. Yeah. And uh, I don't know, you just got to love a dog. Mm-hmm. Let's get started, Lee. All right. Well, let's just go. Today, we got no guests, but I'm Chase Winnegar host of the podcast, and Lee McClellan, co-host, I hope everyone's doing well. I mean, I'm telling you, we were talking about this a minute ago with the weather that's changed. It's not 95 it's, degrees anymore. It's, it's awesome. I know. <laughs> it's supposed to
0: be like this in October. Not. Yeah.
2: It actually feels like October. I mean, that that was odd. The 95 degree days. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It was actually horrible because yeah. I was on the side of a mountain in eastern Kentucky. And that's part of the reason, you know, it's been a little bit longer since we've done a podcast than either one of us would like it to be. Mm-hmm. But I've been busy. I've been running all over the state filming elk hunts and doing this and that. I've been all over, too, and I've been out of the state. So. Yeah, so it's, it's sorry if you if it's been a little bit longer than it should have been. But we've got stuff to talk about, at least. Mm-hmm.
0: Hey, quality takes time.
1: <laughs> <Yeah>.
2: <laughs> some of the stuff, I don't know what you have on your list, but some of the stuff on my list is uh, what's going on with the deer right now. I have mm-hmm. been out in the woods quite a bit. so. And, and like I said, things have changed. So there's some pattern changes and hunters need to be aware of and kind of change up how they're hunting. So what's going on with deer right now? Update on harvest, mm-hmm. kind of where we're at. Um, what we've been doing, uh, you personally have been doing some fishing. Mm-hmm. You went out of state, did a little bit of fishing. Mm-hmm. I've been, like I said, filming an elk hunt, got to see a bear, done some hiking and saw some other wildlife up in the woods a lot. What's coming up with the Kentucky field? There's a few things coming up uh, in the next few weeks that are pretty cool. And we've made some changes to how we're accepting viewer questions for our call-in shows. So I wanted to talk about that. And then also CWD, which is what our meeting was about yesterday. I'm not an expert, but you know I get to sit in there with the experts and, and I talked to Kyle on the phone this morning and some of the stuff's pretty interesting. It has actually moved closer to us in Tennessee. It's been detected uh, further north than it had been. It's still outside the buffer zone, mm-hmm. but it's inching its way, you know what I mean? So I wanted to touch on that and what some of the changes that could come about are if CWD is detected. We'll have an expert on at some point to give us a real skinny mm-hmm. on that, though. And then, of course, sports. Hmm. <laughs> What's on your list over there? I see. Well,
1: well,
0: main thing is the mass crop surveys come back. Yeah, that has and to do with uh, we deer. hope to have Cody Roden, our small game coordinator who uh, does the mass crop survey, as a future guest very soon. Um, and I've got some percentages and things to go over um, statewide. They show a bust. We'll get into that more here in a little while. But I'm, yep. incidentally, here in central Kentucky, I'm seeing acorns. So um, we'll get into that here in a second.
2: And let's just jump right into it. Okay. And also, I did take some Instagram questions from listeners. All right. And I'm going to give those time to keep coming in because I kind of got to it a little late. I just posted the, you know, send us your questions about 35 minutes ago. Mm-hmm. So towards the end of the show, we'll get into that. Some of it we might answer when we're going through this other stuff. But first of all, let's just go straight to deer. I was in the woods last night. This cold front's come through. Not really a cold front. It's normal temperatures. Yeah. It's just a lot cooler than it had been. And the deer are definitely changing up their patterns, their activity. And that's been going on for the past couple of weeks. But I think this colder weather has really helped out. Some of the things that I'm doing are starting to rattle and starting to grunt and kind of try to call to the deer. Mm-hmm. Last night when I was in the stand, I saw seven bucks and all seven of them were sparring with each other out there, you know, Mm -hmm. hooking up a little bit and uh, freshening a scrape. I saw three of the seven go to the same scrape. So that tells me that they're starting to get, you know, a little bit territorial. They're Mm -hmm. starting to kind of, you know, test their dominance. And that's when rattling and grunting can be really effective. Mm -hmm. Because I guarantee you, when those first two bucks walked out in the field and started sparring, and, you know, their antlers were, were... cracking through the woods, that's mm-hmm. what brought those other bucks out because every one of them just kind of converged in the same spot. So if you can find fresh rubs or fresh scrapes, which I've seen both of here lately, that's a good spot to you know, maybe look at for hunting and don't be afraid to make a little bit of noise in the woods, banging some antlers together, mm-hmm. grunting at them, don't, don't, I'm, I'm not excessive about it. I might do like a 30 second to one minute long rattle set and then wait 45 minutes or an hour and do it again. And I usually try to time it out so that my last one is about sunset, about half an hour before shooting light goes away. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And over the years, that's how I've been most effective at hunting bucks. It's this time of year, mid-October to late October, early November, just trying to get them to come in on that dominance territorial mindset. And that's where they are right now, based on what I saw last night. And I'll say that this is still kind of early in the pre-rut, and you'll get bucks to respond, but you won't necessarily get the biggest buck to respond. It seems like I've, I've in the past had, you know, my shooter buck out there at 150 yards, right? And I've rattled and he'll look at me and the smaller bucks will come in, but he'll stay out there. And then it seems like a week or two weeks later is when those bigger, you know, four and a half year old, really mature deer are kind of get in their own way and have to go in there and check it out too. Mm-hmm. They, they wait a little bit longer, but it's still effective and it's a lot of fun. To call those deer in. Like, I mean, I had a blast in the stand last night. Just Mm -hmm. getting to see all those deer, see all the activity, what was going on. It was a lot of fun. No doubt. So, you have the mass crop survey. Mm
1: -hmm.
2: And part of what I have written down here is about how patterns are changing. Mm -hmm. And part of that goes into what I just talked about. You know, bachelor groups have split up. Mm -hmm. Bucks are starting to test their dominance or, you know, starting to make scrapes and rubs and mark their area. Some of the patterns changing have to do with the food sources, too because those bucks aren't chasing does last night I had does in the field and not a single buck went to check a doe. They went out there in the field, they were eating the corn that was on the ground and they were testing themselves. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So they still aren't chasing does. They're still concentrated on those food sources. So part of that is the mass crop. Mm-hmm. And that's what you brought some info on. Acorns are obviously a deer's favorite food. Yes. And, yeah. and if you tell, tell me what you got there. Cause I haven't well, read that article.
0: Um, this is being printed right now. So, uh, Cody Roden, our small game coordinator again, uh, compiles the uh, mass crop each year, and he's showing failure. Uh, Now, this is statewide. Um, Six percent of the trees, just six, which is considered failure, of white oak are showing acorns. Twenty-three percent, which is right around poor, that's into the poor category, uh, for red oak, which are not preferable, they have more tannins. Um, He's showing 13 percent hickory, which is considered failure, however, beech Beech trees are 39% are bearing fruit, which is into the right on the border of average to poor. So nothing super robust. And Cody said last year was a fantastic mass crop. This year, you often see a bad mass crop follow a good one. They're they're cyclical.
2: I have to guess that has something to do with the weather also. Yes. I mean, we went through a heck I mean, of we've a had
0: drought. Just look at the, the dynamics we've had this year. Yeah. Flooding, record pool at Cumberland in February, high water all in the all the way through June, and then wham, no rain.
2: No rain for pretty much the whole month of September. Yeah,
0: and the driest month ever recorded was September 2019. Not just this dry September, the driest month
2: ever. So what that tells me, what you just read, tells me as a deer hunter, and not just a deer hunter, but I mean elk and bear, because I learned while I was in the mountains this past weekend that bear really focus in on those acorns too. Mm -hmm. And I think we had John Haston recently who also told us that Mm -hmm. if you're bear hunting focus on the mass crops. Yeah. And this past weekend we saw elk, we saw bear, and they were all focused on acorns. And the acorns they were eating were the Mm beech, the beech oaks, Mm -hmm. which happened to be the biggest and like you just said, those are the ones that are producing the most this year. Yes. Statewide. But what that tells me as a deer hunter, if the mass crops are down, especially you said white oak and red oak or... Mm
0: White oak especially, which is the
2: preferred. If you can find a tree that is producing, it could be an even hotter spot.
0: And Cody said it can, you know, even though it sounds terrible, it'll improve hunting because they'll be on the move more. Yeah. You know, when you have a bountiful mass crop, like, why why do I need to
2: go somewhere else when I have everything I need right here? Yeah. But so maybe check the oak trees, Mm -hmm. see if they are producing, because I know of a few oak trees on my property that are producing this year. I've been around them, been at the base, seen all the acorns. Those could be even hotter spot. Mm -hmm. And, you know, honestly... I've seen
0: hickory nuts. I mean, I've seen mast this yeah. year. It's not like I haven't seen, seen it's, a lot of acorns.
2: It's there, but our our surveys are saying that mm-hmm. it's down. Yes. And if only 6% of white oaks are producing, is mm-hmm. that what you said? That,
0: that, that's what the, the uh, survey said. 6%,
2: that means that's you can- That's the
0: percentage of trees they observed with mass.
2: You can target in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So don't look at it as a bad thing necessarily. Look at it as an opportunity to target in on something that is there. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of how, you know, when the weather changes, Like poor weather conditions, a lot of people don't want to go hunting, right? But poor weather conditions compared to normal conditions will actually isolate the deer on a more specific pattern or to a more specific spot. You know, if it's extremely cold in the winter, those deer want to be on south-facing slopes, you know? And it might be rough as a hunter to go out there when it's five degrees, but Mm -hmm. you can locate those deer. You can say, okay, well, because of these conditions, they're more likely to be here. Mm -hmm. And like when we had that drought in September, I mean, things were dried up, small creeks had no water. And I mean, it might've been miserable for the deer, but if Mm -hmm. you could find the water source, Mm -hmm. then you had a better chance. So, you know what I mean? It's like poor conditions can sometimes give you an opportunity to take advantage of of something that's a little bit abnormal. Mm -hmm. And that's what these mass crops are too. I mean, the acorns aren't there, the deer probably aren't quite as happy with it, but if you can find them, then you've got a chance to isolate in. Yes. Let's see, I'm, I'm just going off topic. Let me read through my notes here, rattle um, scrapes, rubs, acorns, I hit that, pattern change taking place. Some of that has to do with crops being harvested also. Mm-hmm. Like standing corn provides more cover than it does food for the deer. Joe Lacefield talked about that when he was in here with us. Well, as those cornfields get combined, which is happening all over the state right now.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I've noticed that.
2: Then I mean, that's a lot of
0: silage being cut. Yeah.
2: That's, that's cover that's no longer there for the deer, so they will no longer be bedding up in that corn, obviously. They're going to move to the woods. So mm-hmm. patterns change because of that. And like I said earlier, they're starting to test their dominance. Uh, acorns are falling. We had that drought, so water was and disappearing.
0: You can get access to cut silage fields that can bring some, if you want to get some good dove hunting in after, yeah. you can You can really have some good late season dove hunting if you can find some good cut silage fields.
2: So as far as, well, my deer season so far, Mm -hmm. right? I had a buck on camera that I really wanted to harvest all the way up into early September, and then he disappeared. And I have not seen a sign of that buck for over a month now, Mm -hmm. which is depressing, to be honest with you. Because I'm out there hunting literally a ghost. I've passed other bucks. I've passed other decent bucks, hoping this one will show back up. My opinion on where he is, I think he moved to the farm next door that still has standing corn. Yeah. Yeah, I think they well, yeah. co- they combine the corn on our farm and although that's a feeding opportunity, I think that this big smart buck he wants to be where he feels safest, and that's over there on the other farm where there's still standing corn. Mm-hmm. So I'm kind of battling some of the same issues that I think a lot of hunters are right now. And I just hope it works out. I'm waiting, I'm praying every day I drive past that other farm that they combine that corn and maybe he'll show back up.
0: Mhm.
2: Um, I, well, they're
0: going to have to do it soon, so.
2: Yeah, I mean, well, then this rain, obviously it only rained one night, but it did rain three inches. That'll mm-hmm. keep them out of the field for a day or two. Yeah. You know, and then they'll probably get back at it. I'm just hoping, as a bow hunter, let's see, this is youth weekend coming up. I don't, you know, as a bow hunter, I, I don't really care about that. Muzzle the week after, and that's when, you mm-hmm. know, people might be out there hunting other farms next door and things like that. So just as a competitive bow hunter, I kind of want them to get to it and maybe push that deer back to me so I have a chance at him before Orange Army takes the woods. Yeah. And I'm I'm debating taking a muzzleloader out there myself this year. Typically, I'm strictly a bow hunter for my buck, Mm -hmm. you know, and that's just my own personal, how I feel about it. And uh, this year, I'm really tempted to take a muzzleloader or potentially even a rifle. That's
0: my brother's favorite, early muzzleloader.
2: Early muzzleloader is a great time of year to hunt because, like I said, pre-rut deer being active, you can call them in. They aren't running all over the place yet. Like during the rut, you might have a buck you've picked out, and your buck might end up two miles away. Because he's just chasing the creeks and following the funnels, and you know, he, he's looking for hot dose. So, your target bug might disappear and go completely somewhere else in November. But during October, early muzzleloader, there's a good chance he's gonna be right where you want him to be and that he's gonna be active. So, it's a great time of year to hunt, my favorite time of year.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Update on harvest so far, and I got these numbers this morning. We have had 4,568 deer taken. Oh no, that's with archery. So let me go back. Two thousand five hundred thirteen male deer have been harvested. Three thousand six hundred ten female deer have been harvested. So that's that's for, good. That's forty-one to fifty-nine percent. Good. So uh, you know, basically a 40-60 ratio. Yeah, that's
0: like, typical, though. don't you think?
2: Yeah, I mean it'll it'll People, change a little bit. Most
0: are waiting for gun season to take their buck.
2: Yeah, or it's just tough. You know, yeah. I've I've wanted to shoot a dove so bad lately, but I just. Keep on holding off. And as soon as antlers, well now it's decent weather. I
0: mean, yeah. you've got to get that thing going when it was so blazing yeah. on.
2: You know, that's I kind of have a theory on that. A lot of people tell you, you know, if you're hunting when it's 90 degrees out and you shoot a deer, you've got to hurry up and get to it quick, right? Well, which makes sense because it's hot. And But, you know, the way I see it, and I'll have to get an expert in here to tell me if this is right. That deer's body temperature is like 100 degrees when you shoot it. Mm-hmm. So does it being 75 out versus 90 out really make a big difference in... Because, I mean, it's body temperature starts off at 100. So, you know, I I took forensics in college, and I remember, you know, they taught us about how quick a body cools off in different temperatures. I don't think it's going to make a huge difference if it's 75 versus 90. The big difference comes at 55.
1: Mm -hmm.
2: And that's because flying insects don't, they aren't present at temperatures below 55 degrees. So that's when you don't have to worry about flies laying eggs on, on deer and things like that. So 55 is kind of the jump for me. I'll, I'll shoot a deer at 90 and take it all day. I just don't want to mess up my farm right now because I'm hunting that buck. I don't want to take the chance of shooting a doe and having a tracker through a thicket where my buck is and bumping him out. And, mm-hmm. But as soon as I get an opportunity to, I'm going to put a doe on the ground and get some venison. I'm looking forward to that. Um, out of those deer that were taken, which is, let me see, 25, 13 male, 36, 10 female, that's 6,123 deer. 4,568 have been taken with archery, 1,545 with a crossbow. And this is the first year for some crossbow changes, so i got to think that's an increase in mm-hmm. crossbow harvest. It's still, that's... It's not many, 1,545. Yeah. I
0: mean, I, you know, we've, we've plowed that ground before, but yeah. I think a lot of people thought it would be a lot higher than that.
2: No, so. I, I have seen a, uh, quite a few people, just on social media, this is where you know I see most of the people with a harvest. Mm-hmm. I have seen quite a few crossbow harvest on you know your deer hunting pages, Kentucky White Hunters, et cetera. But, I mean, it's not negatively affecting anybody, in my opinion. If anything, it's just providing more opportunity. The top five counties so far, I thought this was kind of interesting. Hardin County, Hmm. Christian County, Pendleton Hmm. County, Pulaski County, and Washington County. Hmm. Now, if you look at that on a map, you have Hardin County, which is west central. E-town. Yeah. Christian County, which is southwest. Yep. Pendleton County, which is in northern Kentucky.
0: Which produced one of the biggest bucks ever harvested.
2: Yeah. And then Pulaski County is southeast, and Washington is central. Mm-hmm. So if you look at a map of Kentucky, the top five counties are literally scattered. None of them are in far west, none of them are far east. But, I mean, you can, I think Hardin and Washington are fairly close together. They are. But aside from those two, look, I mean, the know, other ones from
0: are- Hardin's on, we border Hardin? Yeah. No, no, we border LaRue, LaRue's near Hardin. Yeah. Then you go over in Springfield area, in yep. Willisburg. That's, that's always been a big, big deer hunting area.
2: But For they're, sure, I mean, yeah. they're literally scattered. It's <clears throat> yes. not like all five counties are in one cluster. And you kind of think Todd, Logan, mm-hmm. Christian. I mean, that's a hot spot. That's kind
0: of the corridor of
2: big bucks. Yeah, you, you think so. But right now they're scattered all over the place. That'll probably change, but I thought it was kind of cool to see that. Let's see. Next one I wanted to talk about was what we've been doing. All right. And I'll... You tell me. You tell me what you did, and I'll, I'll tell you after. Because, I mean, well, it's been several weeks since we did a podcast, and that's because we've been running and gunning all the, over the no, place. No,
0: well, I went to Arkansas, which I do every October, to see some old friends, and we always fish some of the Ozark rivers out there for smallmouth. And um, it's one of my favorite trips of the year. I just um, <clears throat> love the Ozarks, and you just don't see people. You, the water quality is exceptional. Um, the fishing's usually exceptional. We had the first day when it was really hot, great fishing. Yeah. <clears throat> caught nice size. I mean, we didn't catch any hogs this time, but we had really low, clear conditions.
2: You were smallmouth fishing? Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: But the thing I noticed is the competition was high, much like what may happen with the deer hunting this fall and what is probably starting to happen. Limited food resources means high competition. I had, I'd have one on and there'd be four or five, like a wolf pack of bigger smallmouth yeah. bopping him and trying yeah. to take that, what they perceived as a food item away from huh. it. And I saw that repeatedly
1: yeah
0: um the second day we had a cold front temperature dropped about 20 degrees which was great because it was 94 the first day felt great the fish were off i only caught five that day one was really nice the rest of them were small the next day we bopped around a few places ended up in a really good spot around five o'clock we were trying to catch some lightning bolt pouring rain soaked in my underwear end of end of (laughs) trip.
2: (laughs) Well, I mean,
0: I mean, my, my vest is still wet from, from that trip.
2: I mean, even though it was a hard trip, I don't feel bad for you. No, no, it was great.
0: <laughs> First day was great, second day is medium. I, I rate the trip a medium, wasn't the bust. wasn't the greatest, a medium. Comradery was yeah. fantastic, and it's just good to see old friends and spend time.
2: You I know? wonder how that relates. I haven't done a whole lot of fishing over the past few weeks. I wonder right. how what you had relates to Kentucky. Well,
0: um, Elkhorn and everything has been just really slow because we've been in drought. Yeah, I well,
2: mean, we did get three inches of rain. How? Yes. I wonder, I wonder what that did to it. I oh, it's, it can't do anything but help. Yeah.
0: Now another report I got from a guide who's a friend of mine on the Cumberland River—it's on fire right now.
2: Yeah. Is it on fire? If I had to guess, up closer to the dam. He's actually down in the
0: lower river between, hmm. um, say, uh, Winfrey's Ferry to the Tennessee state line. Okay. So he, he, um, you don't get the giant fluctuations down there as much, but he said he's been catching. Sp- lots of fish over 20 inches yeah caught him up to 23 i think he told me um and um just wearing them out
2: i watched a video uh yesterday that had to do with cumberland being lowered and what mm-hmm. that meant and obviously cumberland lake had been really low because of the drought mm-hmm. this past little bit
0: i was there uh Three weeks ago, and it was very low.
2: Well, I know that there was... Fishing was really slow. There was danger of a fish kill. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure w- what happened. I hope happened. that's abated now. Yeah, I hope that rain really helped. But what was happening was they were pulling all that cooler water out of the out of the lake, right? Yep. Pull the water, habitat right out of the lake. The water police. gets pulled from the bottom of the lake, and mm-hmm. that's where the cooler water is, and that's where the striper and the walleye and everything are. But that cooler water goes into the river, mm-hmm. and... The trout love it. That's what keeps the trout there year-round.
0: They've had the sluice to add more oxygen to it.
2: But as we pull all that cooler water out of the bottom of the lake, the water going into the river is a little bit warmer, a little Mm -hmm. bit warmer. And the video I was watching, it was like six years old or seven years old. It was from the drawdown. And basically, as the river gets warmer, Mm -hmm. all those trout and all those fish move up towards the dam and congregate Mm -hmm. because that's still where the cool oxygenated water is. And when all those fish fish con- congregate up there in the first couple of miles below the dam, competition becomes really high Yeah. for food. And that's what you were talking about seeing mm-hmm. in the Ozarks. Mm-hmm. So I had to feel like that was a great fishing opportunity right there. If you can it, find well, high competition. until they
0: got stressed out. I yeah, went okay. the first year of the drawdown. My God, it's the best fishing because you, you had so- all these fish concentrated in half of the river. Yeah. But over time, the temperatures got up into the 70s for long periods of time, and that went on for years, and it eventually stressed the fish out. Hmm. And we had we lost a a big chunk of our trophy brown trout
2: um,
0: and our bigger rainbows. Now it's really back on, especially for rainbows, and that's a good thing.
2: And what you're talking about with fish getting stressed, that happened years ago. So we didn't reach that.
0: No, they've been generating like crazy, Jerry. I mean, when I I fished a while back, had one of the best days of my life. Got several over 20. on a cicada with a dropper of a beadhead pheasant tail, uh, brown and black, um, on, a, on a, a bigger, more of a kale-style hook than a traditional J-hook for that. And that, that seemed to get them better, too. Hmm. But when the when the water wasn't flowing, we caught them on the dropper. It'd yep. be like your, your dry fly up top was like a big bobber. Then we got the, the slug of water from Generation hit us, and then we outran it the rest of the day, and then they turned strictly to top water. Huh. And we'd see big monster 18, 19-inch rainbows just swimming ch- 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 up from the bottom. And you'd see them, they'd be 15 feet away. You're like, there's no way he's going to hit that. He's going to see it in spook. Yeah. Crunch, crush that, and pull it down, and game on. God, it was a ball. Yeah, I miss fishing Lee. <laughs> it was a great. <laughs> I've So fun. it's been that way. If you can get down to Lower Cumberland right now, I mean. But, however, I talked to Ron Brooks yesterday, and he went to the Rainbow Run area. He camps out on his boat. It's ingenious how he does it. We'll have to have Ron on there some.
2: stuff. That's good, yeah.
0: And t- tell us how he does that. And he said he had really slow fishing. But that was before this cooler weather hit. And, and uh, the bluebird days after cold front are tough no matter what.
2: My buddy so. Bobby camp's on his boat, too, and he's been kind of going from lake to lake. And I know he went to cave run and musky fished with his fly rod the other day. is a 10-weight fly rod. And he said it wore him out. Mm-hmm. I bet. And casting that fly, the musky <laughs> did, fly. Did he have any? He didn't have any luck, but he did see three caught.
0: Kevin said he went the other day and he didn't even have a follow.
2: Yeah. No, I went not too long going out have a follow either, but fishing out of a kayak, I, yeah. you know, it's you know, really rolling the dice there. And if you have a follow out of the kayak, that's all it takes. Great day. Yeah. But, all right, so that's what you've been doing. I'll hit on what I did real quick. Cool. This goes back like weeks. I feel like I've done nothing but work. Mm-hmm. Actually, I'll tell you, in the month of September, I had either three or four days where I did not work. So that's, I mean, you're know, talking about 31. No doubt. Or 30, that was, it just seemed like that's all I did. But first thing I did was on... I don't even know what weekend week it was. So Friday, last Friday, not this past one, but the one before, I went to the gorge and I had to hike some trails at night to help mark some trails for mm-hmm. a uh, race that was that weekend. And when I was hiking those trails, I came across Copperhead after Copperhead after Copperhead. Wow. And I'm out there in shorts and tennis shoes because I have to cover 13 miles of trails. Mm-hmm. So I'm trying to make some good time. But, you know, I love seeing the snakes. I love seeing the Copperheads. I don't want to step on one. So you just got to have your headlamp on and be careful. But... This time of year, I tend to see a lot more on the trails at night. And the reason for that, I wish we had John McGregor or somebody, but the reason for that, in my opinion, is because, you know, the nights, even though it was 90 degrees, the nights were still a lot cooler Mm -hmm. than your typical summer night was. I mean, temperatures were still dropping down into the 60s at night. They would just climb way up in the Mm -hmm. daytime. Yes. And, you know, snakes are cold blooded animals, so they can't regulate their own body temperature. So because those trails are just bare earth, and they're getting hit by the sun you know they retain that heat mm-hmm. so when the sun goes down at night and everything starts to cool off those trails stay warm
0: so they go there Yeah.
2: they go lay out on those trails to you know kind of bask on that warm warm ground and also that's where the frogs go that's where the insects are most available the salamanders or lizards or whatever they want to eat that's where their food source is too so this time of year on the trails at night you can see a lot more snakes
0: so you just guaranteed that 90 percent of our listeners will not be
2: hiking at night in the right, gorge if, in, in fall you know, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to play a. i'm just trying to plan a trip right now i'm trying to keep him out of there <laughs> you know? well you're doing a good job no it's it's fun though man
0: copperheads it, all over the trail well i'm staying home yeah i
2: saw i think we, we had five which is you know quite a few you heck, go out and no see doubt five, five i mean because you can go hike the trails in the gorge in the it, daytime and
0: you know i hike a lot around streams i think how many times during the day i've put my Leg yep. within a two feet of a copperhead, and uh, never
2: knew it. I about stepped on one uh, about a month and a half ago. We were out hiking, and one was curled up, just sleeping. And I mean, my foot landed an inch from it. And I just kind of jumped back, and you know, it was cool. I copperheads aren't really. I feel like I might be working on some liability issues here. I was going to say they're not really anything to worry about. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's different types of venom, and copperhead's venom really isn't that dangerous, unless you're allergic to it. And if you're allergic to it, then I mean, it can kill you.
0: Yeah. Well, I don't want to find out.
2: Yeah, yeah, I don't know if I'm allergic I'm, or not. I, I don't really because I don't know how you test for it. Are you allergic to copperhead venom?
0: Well, let's stick it.
2: Yeah, I don't, I don't think that's <laughs> something they they test for. <laughs> but it would be bad. I mean, I've been told before that all you really need if you get bit by a copperhead is some epipens in case you are allergic to it. Give yourself a shot or two of epipen and you'll be good to go. And people in the mountains, out in eastern Kentucky, I mean, they got beagles and dogs and they get bit by. Snakes, and a lot of them just ride out the copperhead bite. I mean, if it's not on the throat or something, that's going to swell out and cause some issues. And, I mean, a copperhead really isn't super dangerous. Rattlesnake, hmm. different, different story. Yeah. They got a different kind of toxin that it's almost like a brown or clue spider. It breaks down tissue and does you know, a lot of damage.
0: A little story. The guy I was fishing with, my old, one of my oldest and best friends, uh, Mike Smith, he and my buddy Larry, who was with, I wasn't on this trip, um, they left their waders out to dry one night. Yeah. And uh, this was, I think, on the south. Uh, no, it was on the Buffalo River. And we fished the Buffalo River and Kings River this past trip. And um, they're, he puts his waders on. They're all, you know, going down. And he feels like a burning sensation in his calf. Yeah. Or in the front of his lower leg in the front before his calf. And uh, it goes and goes. And he pulls off. And it's just a red, super intense red. Yeah. Pretty soon, black forms, and he realizes he got bit by brown recluse mm-hmm. into a five and a half mile float, about a mile and a half in, oh, no. and there's no motor to go back up. So he well, had to paddle, knowing he had brown wow. recluse poison
2: coursing through <laughs> his blood. That's not good. So as soon as, as, soon as they put out, they went straight to the hospital, and yeah. man, it, it just got black. And he yeah. still has a pronounced scar there. That's that type of venom. It destroys the tissue. I yeah. mean, that's what it does. It breaks down tissue. Yeah, it was tissue.
0: crazy. He'd send us time-lapse pictures
2: and stuff. That's and crazy. That's I'm, crazy. I'm glad yeah. I've never been bitten or So stung.
0: now we, we don't store the... We, we have our waiters hang inside. Yeah, it's test good. them a little bit yeah, beforehand. Yeah, then just yeah, always check.
2: Yeah, I would say we so. We flip
0: them inside out, so...
2: After I did the hike and saw the copperheads and I worked that whole next day, well, first I went to Louisville and went to a wedding at the Fraser History Museum, which was cool. Mm -hmm. It was a rooftop. So we were overlooking the falls down there, which was nice. And the water was low in the Ohio and it was nice and clear. But then I went straight from there that evening to western Kentucky, or eastern Kentucky, I'm sorry, for an elk hunt. And like you said, 95 degrees. And we'd get out there in the morning and we'd, we'd hear bugles. And we even had bulls within 150, 200 yards but it was so hot, they just wouldn't come out of the timber, wouldn't yeah. show themselves. And the first two and a half days of the hunt, so Saturday, Sunday, and Monday morning, we didn't see a single elk. It was just bugles and bugles. And, you know, you can't really blame an elk. If you weighed 800 pounds and were covered in fur, you probably wouldn't want to walk out there. No doubt. I mean, it's just miserable. Probably
0: the worst conditions you've seen for a oh, elk yeah. hunt. Oh yeah,
2: and we asked Gabe Jenkins, uh, Deer and Elk Program Coordinator. I talked
0: to Gabe the other day too, and he said, you know, he it, said was it was He said
2: it was the worst conditions he'd ever seen, and the harvest number showed it too. Yeah. And finally, on Monday evening, we were driving out there, it was supposed to be 94, 95 degrees again, and all of a sudden, it started clouding up, and we got a little drizzle of rain, and the temperature dropped down to like 81 degrees, and we were like, this is magic, this is perfect. We got up there and sat down, and there, thunder, we were hearing thunder, and not 30 seconds after we sat down, we heard a bugle out in front of us
1: mm-hmm.
2: on an acorn flat. And that morning, we'd seen a black bear on that acorn flat. And within five minutes of sitting down, here come the the cows. We had, I think, seven or eight cows walk out and this one big bull with them. And it was like 280 yards. I don't really want to spoil it for the show. I mean, it was trying to get a clear shot of that bull without a cow in the way or without a tree in the way or a bush in the way Mm -hmm. was tough. And it's, it's going to be on the show here in a few weeks. So I'm not going to spoil that. But moral of the story is that black bear was out there eating those acorns those elk were out there eating those acorns. And they were all beach oaks, which mm-hmm. is what you talked about earlier. And it's just finding the animals is really about finding the food mm-hmm. when it's sparse. And Eastern Kentucky is a good example of food being sparse. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, they don't have cropland out there. Those elk aren't eaten in cornfields like deer are. Mm-hmm. So I think that it just was kind of a testament to finding the acorns, finding the mass crop, finding whatever food source you could. And we did it and we had black bear and all these elk and everything in one spot turkey i mean we saw a bunch of a bunch of wildlife oh,
0: well, well as an adjunct to that my uh one of my best and oldest friends joe mcwilliams got drawn for a, a, a bull firearm tag yeah and he, my brother was his helper and they've been practicing since midsummer they've been my brother loves to reload he's been loading some really hot loads for a, um, a 30-06 for joe to use and they've been practicing shooting and practicing hitting it twice and he did not get one. Yep. I mean, it was and tough. I know, yeah, that they, were, they said it was awesome. I mean, we hunted hard. They said they were proud, um, but, but just couldn't get them to,
2: you know. And that's a payoff in the elk hunt. I mean, I was, I was just a camera guy. I didn't have a tag, right? Mm-hmm. I was out there in the 95 degree temperatures, you know, walking up and down the mountains, doing all the same work. And when that, when those elk finally started walking out and that bull showed himself and he walked out in the opening and he bugled, there's a video of it on the Kentucky Field Facebook page, I mean, my heart was thumping. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And it was exciting for me. And I wasn't even the hunter. I can't mm-hmm. imagine what it would be like to be the hunter. And, you know, even if we wouldn't have harvested an elk, just going out there and hearing the bugles and seeing the scenery out in eastern Kentucky, getting to see mm-hmm. that black bear was a big bonus. I mean, it's a, it's a cool experience anyway. you got to yes, be willing to work and you got to appreciate some, you know, what you're seeing. But, I mean, it's really cool to go out in eastern Kentucky and see. It's, it's almost like a whole different world with it black is. bears and elk and the mountains and the reclaimed coal, coal mines. I mean, it it's much different than what we have here or in western Kentucky mm-hmm. where all the coal has been flattened out, you know. Mm-hmm. It's it's almost like you're in a completely different part of the state or the, the United States. Mm-hmm. It, it's worth seeing for sure.
0: No doubt. And that's what they said, that, you know, overall positive experience just psh- yeah. That's just you, you know you a once in a lifetime draw like that, and then you get the worst conditions. Maybe I've I've seen in my twenty years here at Fishing
2: Wildlife. It's the I mean, worst. I mean, who's you can't, ever tried to
0: hunt in October and, and ninety five degree temperatures in October for crying out
2: loud? Yeah, that's just. And I mean, you can make it work with some animals, but an elk is a huge fur covered animal mm-hmm. that wants to lay in the timber in the shade. I mean, we'd walk into the timber, right? Mm-hmm. So we'd be up there in the flats and up in the open, sweating our butts off, and then we walk down to the timber, and it was noticeably. 15 degrees cooler, mm-hmm. you know, just that shade, the cover, and, the, you know, a little bit of a breeze pushing through there, and that's where those elk want to be, and I don't blame them a bit. It was tough. We got lucky to get an elk, and I'm glad you're, you're was it your brother or your Yeah,
0: part? my brother was the helper. My buddy Joe was the hunter. Yeah,
2: well, I'm glad they still had a good time at least. They had, yeah,
0: but I, I, I felt horrible.
2: So I said what was coming up as far as the elk hunt. It's going to be on TV before long. You can see clips of it on the Facebook page. Mm-hmm. It might be a few weeks before it's on because over the next couple of weeks, we have some live call-in shows coming in. And one of those live shows, the first one, is on the 19th, and that's our fall hunting call-in show. And if people have watched that before, we basically have a panel of experts. There'll be law enforcement, and there'll be a couple of you know program coordinators up there from different species. And you can call in and give us your question, and we'll get it answered for you on the show, right? Over the past few years, we also started accepting questions on Facebook. Mm-hmm. or Instagram, people could leave us a comment with their question, and we, you know, John Doe from Facebook wants to know this and this and this. Well, this year we're making another change, and we haven't rolled this out yet. We're going to, I think, announce it tomorrow, and we're going to start accepting video questions. Hmm. So somebody can take a video of themselves asking their question. That would be cool. On their cell phone, yeah. So just pull out your cell phone, you know, and record yourself. I'm Chase from Frankfort, Kentucky, and I was wondering, you know, this and this and this and that. And then we're going to take some of those questions, depending on what you know what they are, the quality of the video, mm-hmm. and put them on the show. So, you know, the people will actually be on screen asking their oh, question. Oh, that's cool. People will yeah. like that. I think people will like it, too. And all somebody has to do is take the video of themselves, you know, say who they are, where they're from, and ask their question. And then message it to us on either Facebook or Instagram, the Kentucky Field Instagram page or the Kentucky Field Facebook page. I think it's going to be a cool addition. Chad is going to record a video today that kinda of demonstrates how to do it and announce that we're doing it. But so this is actually the first we've said of it mm-hmm. to anybody right here on the podcast. But I'm hoping some people will tune in for that and we'll submit some questions. So we can you know it's it's a dry, it's our first run too. We're we're figuring out how it goes, but we've tested it. We think it's gonna be cool and it's gonna give viewers and listeners a, a better chance to interact with the program and to get their questions answered. So mm-hmm. I'm excited for it. I hope people tune in. Hopefully somebody listening to the podcast right now decides that they have a question they would like answered. I mean, they can submit it and get it answered by the experts right there. Mm-hmm. Whether it's a law enforcement question or a deer question, elk question, or bear, anything like that, we should be able to get an answer for you. And like I said, that show, the live calling show is on the 19th. We also have a CWD show where we're going to have our CWD experts, and they're gonna be basically giving the rundown of CWD. That's gonna air on the 26th. But we're also gonna take viewer submitted questions for that show. Mm-hmm. And those, we just need them all by like next Tuesday or something like that. Yeah. And our panel of guests on that show is gonna be Gabe Jenkins, Cal Sams, and Chrissy. I, I wish I could remember Chrissy's last name. She's, she's new, she's our, veteran, our vet. Mm-hmm. So she's the one who's doing all the neocropsies on the deer and the elk and et cetera, et cetera. So we should have all those people on the show to answer all the questions and, and run through CWD. And there's a lot to know. Yeah. And I'll, I'll tell you what, just yesterday, a buddy of mine uh, who I've, who, you know, I talk about CWD and HD and things like that with my friends. A buddy of mine was asking me if CWD meat was safe to eat. And I told him, you know, honestly, I'm, I'm not an expert on that. We never have had CWD in Kentucky, so, It's not really something that's affected me. And he said, "I thought we'd had CWD for years, and he was confusing HD and CWD. HD. Because somebody who I thought for sure would know the difference. Mm -hmm. So I mean, there's there's a lot to know about CWD. It's a big deal. Hemorrhagic, yeah. Hemorrhagic disease is EHD, Mm -hmm. and CWD is chronic wasting disease, and that's the one that.
0: Now, hemorrhagic disease are those safe to eat? I think they are.
2: Yeah, yeah. Uh, they are two completely different diseases. But CWD, and we've, we've talked a little bit about CWD. We had, a, it was Wes Little, mm-hmm. who was actually a migratory birds biologist. He was on not long ago, but he yeah. sat in in the CWD in meeting. It, yes. and so I talked, I, I talked to Cal Sams this morning, and uh, something that came up was that CWD had actually moved closer, and I mentioned that earlier, had moved closer to Kentucky, and we kind of have a buffer zone. There's a map on our website. If you just get on ky or FW.KY.GOV and search CWD, you know, there's a lot of information. And some of the information that's available is the response plan, so like the action plan. If CWD is detected in the state of Kentucky, here's what's gonna happen. Mm-hmm. And it is a very procedural, but it's pretty intense, what's gonna happen too. And some of the things are within a radius of around where it tests positive at, mm-hmm. increased harvest. right? Because you're trying to, one, thin the deer herd to keep it from spreading, but you're also trying to get samples. A lot of samples need to be collected. And it's very scientific. I mean, they're looking for, you know, a 95% certainty. And there's um, certain factors that they are taking into account how many samples they need to have. Mm-hmm. But if that happens during the hunting season, then hunters are going to be the main tool that the department uses to collect samples. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And they're going to have mandatory check stations set up where if you harvest a deer, you have to take it, and they're going to draw a sample from it. And it looks like... Another option that's on the table, and this is all in the response plan, and I'm just going through it briefly, is increased harvest. And that includes buck harvest. So it won't be one buck anymore. Yeah, I mean, they could potentially bump that number up. And I asked Kyle about that. He said it's about getting the samples, but bucks are also the primary transmitters of the disease. I mm-hmm. asked him why that was. He told me that it's because bucks just interact with other deer a lot more. You know, and like last night when I was in the stand, I saw... Nose-to-nose
0: nose contact or nose-to-ground and then they come behind? An, any correct? kind of
2: those contact, any any of that contact. Because they
0: leave the prion in the ground and another
2: enc- N- encounters it and too. off to the races, well, you think, Like last night, I saw all those deer, right? All seven of those bucks were out there sparring with each other, touching each other, going to the, uh, the scrape and, you know, using the same licking branch. Those don't do that. So if a buck gets CWD, he's much more likely to... Interact with another deer, interact with another deer, sniff a deer, you know, go nose to nose, lick a licking branch. So, Mm -hmm. bucks are a primary transmitter. So, like, I thought that was kind of interesting that there could be an increase in, you know, more liberal harvest and also more liberal harvest of bucks in that area, which is not good for your deer herd long term. One of the reasons Kentucky is such a good deer state is a one buck limit.
0: Yes. We have people call from all over the Southeast, all over the Midwest to come and hunt here.
2: Yeah. Well, it's because we have good deer. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. So I thought that was interesting and people should, because it's moving closer, it's not here yet and there's no telling if or when it's ever going to be here, but that full action plan is available online. And yes. so are the maps that show where it is with, you know, a radius drawn around it. And I mean, it's, I think they have a 65 mile buffer on the map that shows you 65 mile radius of where it's been found in other states. And that little 65 mile red circle is basically almost just scraping the Kentucky border. Mm. It's that close to our south and to our, our west. So, I mean, it's kind of scary times, but you know, I feel pretty good about where the department has ready to go. Yeah. And I'm looking forward to that CWD calling show just because you know, I'll be able to ask questions and get mm-hmm. some more information. And Anybody who tunes into that should have a pretty good idea of what's going on with CWD. Yes. And that'd be good because educated hunters, like I said, hunters are the number one tool to combat CWD or to sample for CWD and educated hunters are going to help a lot with that. So I just wanted to throw that out there. What else you got, Lee? i got a couple other things here, but I feel like um, I'm doing too I, much talking.
0: No, you're fine. Um, drought's over and that's great. <laughs> <laughs>
2: that's, your, that's your takeaway. Yeah, I am happy about that. I, got, I have a cell cam. I've talked about that before.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: It just sent me a picture a second ago. I don't know what of. I haven't looked at it yet, but on the 6th, it sent me a picture of a small buck crossing the creek, and he was hoof deep in water. And then on the seventh, it sent me a picture of a doe and a fawn crossing the creek, and they were swimming. And I was happy to see wow. that. Wow! Yeah, it was a it was a big difference. I uh, plan on getting out there and hunting tonight, and as many days as I possibly can when this weather mm-hmm. is like it, it looks is right
0: like now. Uh, judging on the long term, we're going to be in this kind of weather for. As far as I can see.
2: Hey, I I good, good, good. I love this weather. Me too. Give me, give me, give me highs in the fifties. Give me highs in the forties. I'm not a, I don't get cold easy. I prefer that colder, colder weather.
0: That'll bring the smallmouth up in the reservoirs. Season isn't quite, really. I think smallmouth in reservoirs starts peaking around uh, Thanksgiving, and goes until first of January is my favorite time. Thanksgiving to Christmas is my favorite time to be on Cumberland for smallmouth.
2: I'm looking at my, flipping through my trail cam pictures that just sent me. 10:36. 10:36. those doe's out there, and a small buck as well, same small buck. I set this camera up on a creek crossing that was right next to some rubs that I'd found, you know, because I'm, I'm still trying to locate that, where my shooter went. Mm-hmm. So I set it up, okay, there's a buck in this area, he's obviously here quite a bit, making these rubs and whatnot. So I set my camera up there, hoping I could catch him, and I got a feeling it's this smaller buck that's been showing up on my camera that's making mm-hmm. those rubs. Hmm. Just a second. What is this? It's a new deer. Can mm. you see the smile come across mm-hmm. my face there, Lee? Mm-hmm. Oh, <laughs> he's not hes not a big one, but he is a new deer, and that's interesting to see. No, he's definitely not a... Not a and this a
0: weather, don't you think, uh, that's going to get it all scrambled
2: here soon. I'm loving it. That's why I'm hunting, because right now I just told you 1030... Let me look at this last picture. 1037. So eight minutes ago, there were deer in front of the camera. And I mean you're talking a week ago when it was 97 degrees, those deer were, you know, hunkered down somewhere. <laughs> yeah, no trying doubt. to- napping it, it, during the day. This time of year, the activity is just picking up and as a deer hunter, I could not be more excited. No
0: doubt.
2: And youth season's coming up this weekend. Mm-hmm. Get those kids out there. It's anybody 12 and under can hunt for free, I believe. And it's 16 and under can hunt during youth season. Yes. All the regs are online. Yes. Um, and then the weekend after that's early muzzle which we talked about earlier, one of the best times to be out there.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: I'm going to go to Instagram now and see if we got any good questions or comments. And then we gotta do our sports take. Just I mean, it's kind of, you know, we're not experts, but it's fun. It is fun. Yeah, you know, I find out once I if I say something on the record, like on the podcast, if I give my sports take or a prediction, I find out how wrong I am. Yeah. You know, because if when I wasn't saying things out loud and they were being recorded, I never realized how truly horrible I was at predicting sports, but like I missed both uh, games yeah, last time yeah. we were
0: on. I keep my wagering to the horses.
2: All right, so Doc Waters won on Instagram. Why isn't the EHD map updated since September 19th? I talked to our. Better vet yesterday about it. She said it's going to be updated very soon. They're just waiting. I mean, they send the samples off in batches, mm-hmm. and it takes a certain amount of time for the samples to come back. Yeah. And uh, she was talking like we should have an updated map today or tomorrow, I believe. Good deal. So, and she said there are going to be a few more counties. Don't so you are,
0: think this rain and the cool weather is pretty much put an end to that?
2: The rain can help, but the I mean, until we get a hard frost, those flies are still going to be out there. Yeah. But she said there are going to be some more counties that are confirmed when this new map comes out. So... I'm looking forward to seeing it, seeing where they're at. I know I've had a lot of people sending me pictures and reports, and uh, everybody who sends me something, I say, file a report online, and a lot of people do. One guy had eight reports filed in one day that he found on his property, so that kind of stinks. But mm-hmm. All right, let's see. Next one. Um, potential frost going on. Uh Isaac Kent, 44. Isaac's a, a good guy. He says, with the deer season in full swing, what are your favorite venison recipes? I will say, I'm not the best cook. <laughs> okay. I don't know if you want my I had whiskey. your venison. It
1: was good. Which which
2: venison did you have? Um, I think, what did you make for the... No, uh... oh, that was a crock pot. Yeah, that's what I thought. I, that's a, probably my favorite way to do it. Yeah, it was good. Man, I throw a roast or a section of tenderloin in the crock pot. You know, I clean it up, mm-hmm. get all the silver lining off or silver seam off. Put it in the crock pot. I go with like a cream of potato or potato and mushroom or mm-hmm. a cream of mushroom. And then just season it with salt and pepper and let it go in that, with, that, with that soup, like a Campbell's soup or a Kroger brand soup. Farmer
0: had a great stew recipe with the red currant jelly. Do you remember? Have you ever made uh-uh. that?
2: I never have looked at it.
0: Um, it's in some old Kentucky fields. We probably need to put that online sometime. But it was, he did it on the show too, so yeah. you probably could YouTube it. But it was delicious. Yeah, I'm sure. But the red currant jelly is the key that's hard to find, but it-
2: I'll have to look it it up.
0: It made a fantastic flavor to it.
2: Well, I like, the crock pot's probably my Mm -hmm. favorite way and the easiest way. Because I mean, I just throw it in there at, you know, nine o'clock at night before I go to bed, wake up the next morning, and it's ready to roll. Well, I and mean... Tender falling apart. The
0: easy way is take your tenderloins, soak them in Dale seasoning for two hours, grill them.
2: No, that's... Still great. <laughs> that's Chad's favorite way. Yeah, I mean, that's the fantastic. It's good as filet mignon. He literally takes those tenderloins. Just that's, cook them rare. That's you know, probably, everybody overcooks them. That's probably the best medicine I've ever had. Oh, it's great. He, take, he took that... Uh, the tenderloin, Allegro right. seasoning works really well, too. I, I like the Dales. Yeah,
0: but Dales is... It can get a little salty if you leave it too long.
2: This recipe is on YouTube. We just did it last year. It's mm-hmm. I think I I titled it like the best venison recipe or something. But it's a tenderloin recipe. Chad does it on the show, and it's on YouTube. He took the tenderloin. He cut it into, I think, one-and-a-half to two-inch sections, right? And then butterflied it. So then he took that one-and-a-half mm-hmm. or two-inch section, and he cut almost all the way through it, but not quite. So it would butterfly open. Mm-hmm. And then he did, like you said, Dale's and maybe some Cavendeers hmm. and put yeah. it on the grill and don't overcook it. That's the most important part. Yeah. But that was, I mean, delicious. You'll mm-hmm. have to look into that. It almost. Oh,
0: after we did a Dale Holland, and James, I mean, we we let it sit too long, probably, but it was, you know, we were starving. And he said, man, let's cook these. And he had some uh, beautiful tenderloins that he had soaked. He put in Dale's before we left. And that's still one of the, and we were starving. We've been fishing all day.
2: He grilled those rare on the, we just crushed them like a oh, bunch of starving hyenas, we destroyed those. I'll probably try that on the cast iron this year too. Mm -hmm. I've really fallen in love with my cast iron skillet and pretty much cook everything on it. Uh, And Isaac also said, potential first frost coming up, rut predictions or deer activity thus far. We kind of touched on what the deer are doing right now. I have no rut prediction Mm
1: -hmm. (laughs) because I mean, that's just a, that's
2: that's the people are always talking about, you know, What's going on that's with That's who's going to
0: say, like, who's going to win the Super Bowl in 2022? It's, it's you know?
2: tough, man. It has to do with the moon. It has to do with the weather. Mm-hmm. And really what it has to do is that first doe in your area coming into heat, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. going into asterisk. And that's what's going to trigger the rut in your area. And I can't predict what a single doe is going to do or which one's going to do it first. Yeah. But, I mean, you can always pretty much count on early November, first week or so of November, things really pick up. Mm-hmm. Right now it's pre-rut. Like I said earlier, bucks are kind of becoming dominant. Or test on their dominance. Let's see. Gold Rush Kennels asks, why doesn't Kentucky have a short season for running deer with dogs? I have not. That's not a question for me. Yeah, but that's yeah beyond the pale of our... Yeah, I'm I'm no expert on that kind of stuff. Uh, let's see. Southpaw Outdoors. He sent me a couple things. Uh, it's He suggested that we have somebody on maybe every podcast to just talk about what they're seeing with the rut in their area and maybe kind of skip around different parts of the state. But, you know, that's tough for us to do mm-hmm. with our with our format. And trust me, I'm going to give an update as to what I know about mm-hmm. the rut every time we come on, what's going on with your activity. Every time we come on, mm-hmm. I'll, I'll give an update on that because it's deer. I mean, that's what yeah. I live for. Yeah. And I'll try to talk to people from all over and give their, what they're seeing also. Well, like I said, I mean, it's right now. I mean, I feel like it probably holds true to most of the state that the bucks are doing what we talked about, mm-hmm. and you know, rut's not going to start till those first does start coming into heat. So I'll try to I'll try to keep up with that. Um, AU Mylist. When looking at trail cam photos, do you ever look at the wind direction for that day to predict travel routes, or would you say bucks move the same routes um, regardless of wind direction? I think wind direction has a big effect on how deer move, especially mature older deer. Mm -hmm. And I was thinking about this last night while I was walking to the stand. You know, you have weather stations all over the place that are unmanned, and they're giving you wind direction and wind speed, right? When are we going to get a trail camera that reads wind direction and wind speed and and marks that? I'm surprised that's not on the market. Yeah, it seems like that would be on the info strip because, I mean, they show you moon phase. They show you temperature. They show you time of day in the date, and those are all relevant. Some of them show you the barometric pressure. Those are all relevant, but wind direction is as big a factor as anything. And if you're seeing a buck, I went back with the buck I wanted to shoot this year and I patterned him. I went through and I looked at all the trail cam pictures I had of him, right? And I looked at time of day, I looked at which direction he was moving, and I looked at moon phase, and I went back through weather underground and I looked at the wind direction that day. And he was as consistently there, depending on the wind direction. He liked a northwest wind. That's when he was coming through my, my area. He liked, That was as consistent as anything. Temperature didn't really matter. He was there during basically a three-hour time span between half an hour before daylight to two hours after daylight. He was moving the same, deray, same direction with the same wind direction every single time. So I'm kind of waiting for a trail camera to incorporate that. Mm-hmm. But I do think it plays a part for sure. Let's see. Um... This is from WV underscore mass bass. What do you do when property you hunt has a swirling wind almost every day, and only has two access points? And that's a a struggle I deal with because of just the contour of the land. I need a west wind to hunt, Mm
1: -hmm.
2: but because of how the hills roll, a west wind tends to be a more swirling wind for me. So it's kind of tough. And if you only got two access points, it's it's really tough. You just kind of I would just pay attention to maybe a like for me I need a west wind. So does a northwest wind versus a southwest wind make a difference on how it's swirling? Because maybe you just got to pay attention to that. But, mm-hmm. I mean, it's a pickle. Yeah. It's a real pickle. Maybe you just got to look up your setup point and try to, you know, set up 50 yards different or something like that. Well, let's see. Big D Bowling 95, rattling this time of year. I have I think he had a typo. I've ejected rattling but interested. I, so, I mean, we, I went over. I think rattling is one of my favorite Things to do this time You're rattling and grunting, just light. Don't get too crazy with it.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: As with all calling, yeah, people tend to overdo it. Yeah. Oh, less okay. is more every time. Waterfowl, That's and the same thing. less thing. is more.
2: Coyotes and predator. I mean, deer. You The problem is, you get up there.
0: You and know, wild you, animals. They're they. Hey, everybody, look at me. You know, I mean, these don't do
2: that. You hit the uh, you hit the horns together, and you wait. And when you're waiting, right after you rattle, you're expecting something to happen, right? And just like all things, I mean, when you're sitting there. Anxiously waiting, time seems to speed up. Mm-hmm. You can sit there for what? What is it? It's a the law of relativity, mm-hmm. is that something?
0: Yes, theory relatively.
2: So that says you put your, you know, you, you, well things that
0: objects are relative to the speed of which they are from you. So they may perceive you at this, but it's actually just a little bit. You know.
2: Well, I thought there was one that kind of said that if you put your hand on a hot stove, a second seems like an hour, and mm-hmm. if you. You know, I, I'm going to quote this from a movie. <laughs> so it's probably not the exact way that Einstein wrote it, but it said if, you, if, you, if, you have a, if you're looking at a beautiful woman, uh, uh, you know, five minutes seems like a second, but if you put your hand on a hot stove, it's a second seems like five minutes yes. or something like that. So it's kind of the same thing.
0: Well, he, he was watching a bicycle and, and buses. He was sitting on a bench coming toward him, and he theorized that by the time that bicycle, by the time the light traveled to my eye and was processed by my brain, That bus or bicycle was actually either a little bit further or a little bit closer to me Mm -hmm. than it actually is. And then you extrapolate that over mega
2: distances. So that has absolutely nothing to do with what I was talking about. But But that's my understanding. Okay. Well, uh, maybe the movie that I saw this quote in misquoted it, and that's why I misquoted the quote. So movies everywhere just misinforming people. Mm -hmm. But, you know, when you're sitting there after your rattle, you're anxious, you can wait five minutes, and it seems like you waited half an hour. So you pick up the horns and rattle again. You just got to actually be aware of the time. That's why every time I rattle, every time I call, I look at the time when I do it. And I don't do it again based on feel. I do it again based on, okay, how long has it actually been? That's something to keep in mind. Let's see. Andrew Campbell, 1776, tips for public land hunting.
0: I think the number one tip for public land hunting is get away from the access points. You, you get, most you, people are lazy and won't go far.
2: you got to be willing to work. That's go, what I was going to say. Brooks, whose office this used to be, Nathan mm-hmm. Brooks, he did a lot of public land hunting. And I mean, he had luck. I mean, he his biggest deer ever came off public land. And, I mean, he was hiking a mile or more in. you got to be willing to get to where most people aren't willing to There's
0: go. a man named Dan Miller several years ago that took a big one off a of Penny Ryle Forest. And I think he was a mile and a half in, yeah. and he had to use a cart to get it out. He was I Amish. Mean,
2: you got to be willing to work for it. Yeah, and also, it's a monster he took. I, I remember that deer, the Penny Row buck. Yeah, it was a giant. Yeah. It was one of the most famous deer. It's actually like uh, the story about that deer is like our fourth or fifth most viewed video all time on Kentucky Field YouTube page. Mm-hmm. Um, so aside from getting in, you know, look for the oaks, look for the food sources, look for pinch points or travel corridors, just like you would anywhere else. And think about water access, because a lot of WMAs have lakes or creeks or rivers on them that you might be able to access. Um, and that's a fun way to hunt, mm-hmm. It's hunt by water. Tyler Brock, one, two, three, four, five, good scouting methods, finding the right spot to scout and what to look for on finding that perfect spot. I think I just kind of hit on that with the funnels, the pinch points, mm-hmm. look for the oaks this time of year. We talked yeah. about this earlier. Food, yes. food, food. Foo. And this time of year, if you're talking about deer scouting, scrapes and reps. Yeah. Because I had somebody send me a message earlier, and I'm not going to be able to find it right now. He had uh, he sent me trail cam pictures of bucks working a scrape. And I've seen fresh scrapes recently. Last night in the stand, I saw two bucks go to the same scrape within 45 minutes of each other. And this guy told me he's getting uh, his scrapes refreshing twice a day. So look for scrapes. Typically, you can count on a deer to visit a scrape within every 24 hours mm-hmm. to refresh. it. it's just like when we were talking earlier, dogs peeing on the tree out front. They want to go out there and pee on that tree. Yep, that's the same thing with a deer in a scrape. So they want to mark their territory and mark their area. Try setting up a trail camera on a scrape. There's a good chance you'll see what bucks are in the area because I mean, it's not just one buck in that scrape. They're all going to want to go do that. So set up trail camera on a scrape, and it'll give you a pretty good idea what you're what you have in the area. And hunting a scrape line can be really good because, like I said, they try to hit it within every 24 hours. Let me see, i got to switch pages. Those were all just from a personal one, so now we're going to go to the Kentucky field one. That's not relevant. Oh, here it is, that was John W. Stacy that sent me those pictures. There's just trail mm. cam pictures of those bucks hitting twice a day. He, and like this is what he said, scrapes are being checked daily, twice a day. Mm. So look at those scrapes for scouting all lame. All right, this is what I can't do. Wildcat, Boz, waterfowl update for Central Kentucky. Do you have any info? Because I don't. I've you seen. Know, I I've just seen saw, a lot of geese. I just
0: saw Wes. You know, um, I have not heard anything about teal and all that. I don't. That which tells me the drought may have impacted it. I'm sure it wasn't the best hunting conditions. I've not seen. I saw some blue blue winged teal in Arkansas, so that means that they, you know, they've already come through. At least that little group did. Um, But I've not heard a thing which may be good or may be bad.
2: Yeah. I know that I've seen a lot of geese myself. Mm -hmm. I know that's not every waterfowler's favorite game to go after, but I've seen geese. I'm not a waterfowler. We'll have to touch on that with somebody who is at some point.
0: We'll have to have Wes on
2: too. Um, RJL Chewy, how did the heavy rain early this year affect fawning season? He wants to know if it worked in favor of the deer or caused complications of some sort. That, I don't know. Deer, fawns are born scentless. Mm -hmm. They're one of the only animals I know of that's born completely scent free. And I know a problem we can have with our turkey or our other ground nesting birds is that rain increases, you know, scent. And so predators can smell turkey paltz better if it rains. So they have a better chance of, you know, eating those turkey paltz and killing them. I don't know if that works for deer that way. Because like I said, fawns are born scentless. I'm not sure if it would be as big of an issue. i I've, honestly, I don't know. Oh, that's another question that I wish I knew the answer to, but I don't. Well, let's see. Another person want to know about waterfowl opportunities. I'm going to take note of these people asking about waterfowl,
1: mm-hmm.
2: and we're going to have to do something about that soon. We're going to have to have somebody on that can talk more waterfowl than I, I can myself. Um, Johnson. Yeah,
0: we'll, we'll have- We'll have will you know because Thanksgiving's when
2: duck and goose comes yeah. in. So we'll have to definitely hit that difference. This is Johnson ninety four dot Logan. Differences to consider when bow hunting pre rut versus post rut for a buck. said he's he's a first year bow hunter. He shot a doe early season, but not sure how to tweak season uh, as it goes on. What kind of tweaks to make as the season goes on? Pre rut right now. Like I said, rattle grunt. Try to you know, work those scrape lines. Work. Uh, the rub lines and just look for pinch points. Bucks are going to be starting to move more and more and more. That's pre-rut. Well, post-rut for me is more about the weather conditions at the time. It's about you know if you got to, if it's a cold winter, if it's a hard winter, based on the mass crops where the food are where the food is. Because post-rut, basically those deer will run themselves you know damn near to death during the rut bucks aren't eating they're chasing does they're traveling long distances and they lose weight and they get skinny and then when the winter comes you know some duck, some bucks die from the winter just because of how hard they rutted because they don't have enough you know body fat or reserves to get them through so post-rut deer are really trying to fatten back up and they're hitting food sources hard so i would look for mass crops or look for corn on the ground or look for something that those deer can eat to fatten up on and you know put fat reserves back on their body to get themselves through the winter post-rut. I don't think it has to do as much with the rut itself. That's my two cents. Let's see, okay, uh, Mattingly underscore Scott, will Kentucky Department of Fish and Wildlife Resources ever outlaw baiting in an effort to head off the spread of CWD? That is in the CWD action plan, and look that up online for the specifics, but if CWD is detected in the state of Kentucky, then within an area, yes, there will be a bait ban. And all the words are defined. The very first page of the CWD action plan has definitions for, you know, the, the certain zones. The um, it has a definition for baiting. It has a definition for feeding, and it defines every word. And then in the pages that follow, it gives a specific action plan for if CWD is tested positive. You know, in a free-ranging deer herd, and a captive deer herd, and the a bait, bait ban is part of that action plan. But it's not statewide. I believe it's within a certain radius, like a 30-mile radius of where CWD is found. Um, I think that a friend of mine told me anyone can talk with crossbow in Kentucky now. Yes. So Josh Wrinkle, um, he said, hey, love the Instagram page we appreciate that. I had a quick question uh, you might be able to help me with. A friend of mine told me anyone can hunt with a crossbow in Kentucky now, not just those with qualifying disabilities. Is this true? Mm -hmm. He said, I read the reg book, but it was still unclear to me. And yes. Uh, We kind of talked about crossbow harvest earlier because there was a change. It's still not the full length of archery season, Mm -hmm. but two weeks into archery season, so the third Saturday in September, crossbow season came in, statewide crossbow season. And it lasts throughout the rest of archery season, so into mid to late January. So yeah, anybody can hunt with a crossbow now, aside from those two first two weeks of archery season. And that should be in the red book, reg book. It should say crossbow season, and yeah, yeah. So that's a, that's a change that was made this year, allowing more opportunity for for a lot of people out there. Lee, you got anything else? I think that's all I'm going to go for on the on the questions here. I think that's pretty much caught up. You got anything else?
0: One thing to remind people is, uh, you know, I know Hunter Orange and stuff is hot, um, and you may want to cool off when you get to your stand by taking off your Hunter Orange. Don't do that. That is illegal. Yes, very illegal. And a lot of people think you only have to have it on when you're walking. Uh, some people think you only have to have it on when you're in the stand and contend- No, you have to have it on the entire time. Yep. Even if it's hot, even if it's uncomfortable, you have to have it I on. I think
2: some people think hunter oranges gives, it puts them at a disadvantage, mm-hmm. like a deer's gonna see it. Yeah. Last night from my stand, literally, I took a short video, I posted a, uh, my story on Instagram, just cause you know, it's one of those things I think about. I would wear these khaki pants, you know, hunting any day of the week. It's not about the colors mm-hmm. you're wearing, it's mm-hmm. your patterns. The more and more I hunt, the less I believe that camo is that important or even being scent free is that important. I think it's all about your setup and playing the wind and moving at the right time. So that hunter orange, it, I mean, I will be bow hunting this weekend in my hunter orange because it's youth season. Mm-hmm. And I'll do it again during muzzleloader season next weekend. Mm-hmm. And I won't feel like I'm at a disadvantage at all. It's, I mean, if, I, if that deer sees me in my hunter orange, it's mm-hmm. because he was going to see me anyway. Yes, it's, it's going to be because I moved at the wrong time, or mm-hmm. because I made a, I kicked my rattle antlers out of my stand, or you know did something.
0: Well, people back in the seventies hunted in buffalo
2: plaid shirts and blue jeans. Bobby, who was on the podcast with us before, I mean mm-hmm. the his best deer harvest ever was a, a big nice mature eight pointer taken with a recurve bow, and he was wearing a pair of khaki pants and a plaid short sleeve shirt that day. <laughs> <I> mean, <laughs> no. it, doesn't, it doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. So. Uh, You know, just, it's, it's one of those things that just gets in people's head.
0: Well, and, and, you know, there's a lot of marketing that goes along. Yeah, and that's why I think,
2: that's why I said, as I, the more I hunt, the, you know, the more, I've been bow hunting for two-thirds of my life now, 19 years, and I can see how the first couple of years as a bow hunter, you know, you're paying, you have less personal experience, so you're, more of what you're trusting comes from outside sources, you know Mm -hmm. what I mean? So... You're watching TV and you see these guys, you know, with their matching camo and, you know, the same, it's all marketing on TV. And as you hunt more and you get your own personal opinion of how things work because you see more and you experience more, then less mar- marketing has less of an effect on you. No doubt. You know what I mean? That makes sense, right? Yes. Yeah, because it's really about what you trust and what you know, and the more you develop your own opinion, the less outside sources are going to influence how you, how you feel about it. And that's why I get into some really good debates with my, my bow hunting friends who have been hunting for a long time. And I think that goes true. I mean, the, somebody who's been bow hunting for 30 years. You, I mean, you'll notice those fifty-year-old guys that have been out there hunting their whole lives—they don't care about yeah. about camo or any of that stuff. So it's—I'm glad there's, there's people out there making money off of it, though, because mm-hmm. I think those uh, tax dollars from all that camo might go to pittman Robinson. It right. does. Yeah. I Actually, yeah, I take you know. back what I said. Camo is extremely important. You need the newest, <laughs> most high-end. You know, support conservation by hunting and fishing license and take a kid hunting. Mm-hmm. So, all right, Lee. Anything else? Oh, sports, real quick. Oh yeah. Um. You, well, Baker Mayfield looked terrible last night. Baker Mayfield, I didn't watch. I mean, they were in his grill immediately. I
0: watched it I was like, Lord. I
2: didn't even see the score of that game yet. Well, he
0: turned it over three times and got
2: crushed
0: 31-3. They got smoked.
2: Well, Lamar turned it over uh, three times in his game this past weekend, too, but they still found a way to win, part of having the best kicker in the NFL. Mm-hmm. Um, talking about best kickers, Blanton Creaky, Louisville's kicker, is from Shelby County. He went to high school there in Shelby County, right where I'm from. And he kicked that game winner for Louisville. They got their first ACC win in two
1: years.
2: (laughs) That's rough, man, Mm -hmm. two years. But I'd say at the beginning of this year, Kentucky and Louisville football, I expected Kentucky to be a heavy favorite. Mm -hmm. And right now that gap is closing. And I'm a Kentucky fan, so I don't want to say that. But, I mean, both teams have been playing their third-string quarterback. Mm -hmm. You know, we're going to move our best wide receiver as a Kentucky fan. We're going to move our best wide receiver two qb it looks like mm-hmm. i mean it's a possibility if, if our if our second string guys hurt i think he got hurt in that, when he tried that silly underhand
0: he got hurt. he got hurt, he hurt two games it, it, yeah and he threw it in and uh he tackled that guy and he came up snapping his wrist you know yep. at least he kept the but you know
2: quarterback injuries are hurting both teams but mm-hmm. i think louisville's in a better position. Yeah, I agree. And I really like what Scott Satterfield's done with the team too. Yeah, I do. You got to agree. I mean, I I still think Kentucky's a better team. Mm-hmm. I believe in our O line and our D line more than I believe in Louisville's, and I mm-hmm. think that's the key on in football. The lines. They're just are,
0: young. They've gotten a little rattled. They'll come around. Yeah, we'll see what happens. I, I think we'll win this
2: weekend. Uh, this weekend is South Carolina, Arkansas, are, are Arkansas. We, I mean, Carolina. we had to beat.
0: That would have been six times in a row we beat South Carolina. I mean, yep. I mean that was not not a good effort.
2: Oh, well, so I'll be looking forward to that. You know, as things start to go downhill for Kentucky football, I just start to get more and more excited about basketball.
0: I, I don't think it's in the junk yet, but,
2: no. you know. I mean, we I was kind of hoping for eight wins preseason. That's, I
0: don't think that's happening. No. 75 would
2: be our best scenario. Yeah, if with losing to South Carolina, I'd say that's true. Yeah. But... Anyway, we could still one here and there. I just, I want to beat Tennessee this year. Mm-hmm. That's the game I'm looking at and I'm saying, let's win that one.
0: Yeah, and they're they're a train wreck worse than nice. us. I mean, just experience it. They'll get
2: around. Yep. All right, Lee. Well, let's, let's call it. We don't know anything about sports, honestly. So yeah, <laughs> It's fun to talk
0: about. I mean,
2: yeah, yeah. I've watched, I've just, you know. That's it's sport-
0: easy to see UK fans, it's funny to watch them revert back in, but when you've, had your teeth kicked in for, yeah. you know, 40 years, it's kind of hard to yeah. you know, yeah, I mean, not, I, not revert to former behavior.
2: Yeah, well, with UK having a bye week this past week, I don't have as much to talk about because I didn't get to see the team. I only mm-hmm. got to see Louisville, and I mean, I only listened to the first half of that game. I was so tired, I had to take a nap, but I know a lot of people, there's that sports book open in Indiana now.
1: Mm-hmm. And I,
2: t- I went out to eat with my dad on Sunday night, and he had been over there and checked it out. I think he said he placed a three-team parlay and won, or lost all three. <laughs> that's how it goes. I mean, you know, honestly, the vast majority of people are just throwing money away by gambling sports. Yeah. But yeah, that's why I keep my money right here. I waste it on hunting and fishing stuff. Yeah, right? I, I, yeah I waste
0: on, you know, I've gotten into fly fishing, and now God, it's like, if you want to you apply a vacuum to your wallet, just take up
2: fly fishing. Fly fishing, yeah.
0: Just watch it, you know, 20s fly out of there with wings on left and right.
2: If I can get... uh yeah, I, I never bet sports. I, mean, don't, I, I do don't. like
0: to play the horses, but not tons. I like know, my keep,
2: wife works in so. I like to keep up with the sports. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just fun. But I uh, if I can get a buck on the ground sometime soon, Lee, I'm gonna be looking to go fishing. So I mean I'm already looking to go fishing. I just mm-hmm. I'm having a really hard time breaking away from the deer woods to don't don't blame. Take a trip. But here soon, the falls are calling my name and a couple of float trips. I want to go to some rivers out in the eastern part of the state, maybe the Cumberland too. So mm-hmm. I'll put something together. But anyway, let's call it quits. I appreciate you coming on. Okay. Take it easy, everybody.
0: Have a good weekend, everybody.